0: Hello, I'm Christine Malika, PhD, and this is Interview with a Therapist. I'm a licensed psychologist, and each episode I will be asking 10 questions to a professional in the field of mental health. Please note, in order to protect current or former clients' privacy in accordance with HIPAA and confidentiality laws, all identifying information has been changed. Welcome, Jeannie Chang is a licensed marriage and family therapist, global speaker, bestselling author, and DEI consultant, which is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. She is an AAPI, or Asian American Pacific Islander mental health expert, and is the founder of Your Change Provider, PLLC, an interdisciplinary practice founded on solutions and her unique framework of cultural confidence. As a personal aside, I lived on the same street from Jeannie as a teen as we both went to the same high school. Jeannie can be found at www.yourchangeprovider.com. That's one word, yourchangeprovider.com. Or you can find her at Jeannie Chang at LinkedIn. Welcome, Jeannie. How are you today? I'm great, Christine. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. It's really a pleasure to have you today. So you it's know our format. Back,
1: all day, living yeah. on the same street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know our yes. format. I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk. Sure. Which figure okay. in the field of mental health do you most admire?
1: Uh, yeah, I love that question, and as uh, just right off the bat, I tend to uh, answer who really comes to mind, and it's really Brene Brown. Oh, and I'm sure a lot sure, of people say sure. that, but I love Renee Brown because not only is she a licensed you know, clinician in the field of mental health, but she's also very uh, visible in corporate America, which is some, t- some, some of my field, if that makes sense, as a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant. So mm-hmm. I work with, with corporations and community organizations, and she speaks a lot in that space about leadership from the field of you know, from her perspective of leadership, but also as a mental health clinician. So mm. I admire her, and I, I'm like, wow. She, I mean, she's done it all. I, I don't think I'll ever get there, but I love, love her work.
0: Yeah. Well, you never know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which case will you never forget?
1: That's a tough one. I will say uh, it, it was probably in the last four or five years now. COVID seems like years combined but mm. it was a case where I had to uncover and use really what I would say that cultural competence perspective or in my case framework of cultural competence because I was treating an Asian teen and working with his parents who are immigrant parents and I when you look at the whole perspective of that case it didn't present what they came in for if that makes sense right so you mm. do some digging it's almost like some investigative work and I have a specialty in trauma as well and I had to figure out what was really going on when they just came in to indicate their son was just having trouble and they were arguing and it was just a lot of family escalation and conflict and very heated time. But but why it's a favorite case of mine is because I discovered, and it really relates, which is why I wanted to talk about it, in in reference of today's world with anti-Asian hate and violence, there was bullying going on that he was having trouble uncovering and really sharing with his parents, mm-hmm. and I was able to uncover that obviously in sessions. And then obviously we had a lot of family sessions because what culminated was then bringing him in because he was expelled from school—a mm-hmm. really bright kid. And again, that doesn't make sense when a bright kid is expelled. And of course, the parents were more like, "Well, he misbehaved." But that's very cultural. Asians mm-hmm. tend to just mm-hmm. accept that answer and say, "Yeah, my son got in trouble, and that's terrible." But he didn't, I could tell that, I mean, it's and the kid was also, also depressed. Think about a lot of happening as a 16 year old. So long story short, why it became one of my favorite cases, because I got to advocate, uh, not only as his clinician, but also as an Asian American clinician to the school mm-hmm. and demand <laughs> changes, obviously with the parents and family consent to, and that's the school that I was expelled at. Sorry. We let go of that. The new school he was at
0: mm-hmm. for some
1: changes to be made because of his own experience in the school, that he was expelled that, where he was bullied, and there was racial attacks there, right? Wow. But all of that uncovered made me also realize a clinician is not just about, it, it, you're supporting one's mental health, you're working through a lot of, of course, the clinical cases, depressive symptoms that this kid was struggling with, but at the end of the day, I was also an advocate, mm-hmm. and I got to speak to the school, speak to the school staff, educate the counselors. It became a bigger, like, system-wide case, if that mm-hmm. made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. because of what complicated from it and that's my favorite case because I got to use my other skills with you know speaking and and, do, and really educating a school system so um, well sounds yeah, like you did I a great job how, yeah and he's obviously doing well this is what four mm-hmm. years ago now so he's in college doing great
0: well that's wonderful heard, yeah. and it sounds like you did a great job and, and as you know my husband is a Korean immigrant and my children are mm-hmm. um, half Korean American and uh, we right now with the climate with things going on. Yep. Um, this is on our minds a lot. And we're mm-hmm. lucky they're in a good school system right now, but we worry about what um, they're going to encounter in their life as they grow, right. especially right now during the pandemic. And um, so I really, um, that story really hits home. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. yeah. What is the most frustrating thing about your job?
1: Ah. <laughs> uh. There's a lot. No, I'm kidding. Um, the frustrating <laughs> thing would be, in on on all honesty, as you shared in my intro being an API Asian American Pacific Islander mental health expert. I do work with a lot uh, of folks in that community, and the frustrating thing would be when I'm really trying to, you know, provoke change in a family system uh, that we're dealing with immigrant families and second generation Asian Americans, which are which is what I consider myself to be a second generation Asian American, and mm-hmm. The frustrating thing is when I am honestly facing the cultural conflict myself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm talking to a parent who actually is my age, right? Let's let's just say around my age. So we have the same. we're in the same age range. We have kids the same age, but culturally we're so different. They're more like my parents. And the frustrating thing is it, it kind of being like that understanding, like, am I talking to my own parents? Right. right. And then the frustrating thing, I have to hold back is understanding that they're in a very different, they have a very different cultural perspective. But why I get frustrated is because, again, help their child or their teen who isn't an Asian American or Pacific Islander in, in the U.S. and has really assimilated to U.S. culture. Mm-hmm. That's where the, the clash comes in. Right, like you and the parents is, are I, a
0: different level of acculturation yourselves.
1: Exactly, yeah. and, and I will say the parents sometimes, um. Well, talk down to me. That's the frustration. They're, they'll be like, it's a very immigrant thing, right? Going, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, well, yes, I do. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm the clinical expert here, and there are times when I have to kind of say things like that to get them to understand, to help their team. And right. so uh, that would be frustrating. And, and it's a lot of that, the innuendos of tone. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating when you're talked down to, right? In your right. own therapy room, you're like, did you still say that to me? Yeah. <laughs> so those would be the frustrating moments. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, excuse me, No. I'm yeah,
0: no, I hear that, and it doesn't always have to even be over mm-hmm. levels of acculturation. You can be talking to someone of the same culture, and they will still talk down to you in your therapy room from their own defenses and resistance. That's
1: <laughs> so, very good point. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, Yeah, thats hard when you're the if your office. But again, I, I can def- definitely mask it, put a poker face on, but it's frustrating because I'm less sure. frustrated, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you consider your biggest professional success?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Well, greatest professional success would be, um, how I have become a sought after a corporate speaker. Honestly, I, mm. um, so this, yeah, um uh, I would say about now about 60% of my private practice, I am a speaker. And wow. what, and it's not the speaking talks, but I provide mental health workshops for corporations. Um, and systems such as colleges, right? And I'm specifically talking about now these days how to address anti Asian hate and racism from a mental health perspective, mm-hmm. from my expertise, and I'm educating corporate America. So that is really a huge success where I accidentally came into that when I, I'm trying to think, it was probably now five, six years ago. I had a friend who is in, um, who's at a big corporation, and he had asked me, Hey, Jeannie, you're in mental health and you're Asian American we would love to hear from an Asian American on just what mental health looks like in the Asian American community. And he's like, would you mind doing this workshop? You know, we'll pay you and all this stuff. And I was like, I guess, I mean, it's just funny. I was like, sure, I'll prepare something. And, and from that moment on, I just remember, and, and just because I have, I'll share about it later, but my diverse background, I was a journalist to begin my career. Mm. So I spoke as a reporter and then coming back full circle, being a speaker from mental health, from the mental health perspective, in corporate America, is super cool, and I would say that would be a great business success because that's not something I planned, but I'm using the skills that I have to be able to
0: reach a global audience. Well, congratulations, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. How does being yeah. a therapist affect your home life? That's a loaded question. No, mm-hmm. I, yeah,
1: that's a um I have a husband and four kids. It mm-hmm. directly impacts my home life I think what I have and this is one of the skills when people say hey what's your superpower as a therapist or you know the questions you get
0: mm-hmm.
1: this is where I'm able to balance first of all it's a constant practice right you don't just it, it doesn't come naturally to be like let me balance um, how to you know all the things that you carry with you in therapy and, and the stories you hear right it's mm-hmm. sometimes they're heavier days than others. and lately I would say there's more heavy days, if that mm. makes sense, just the climate. Then, but and also the fact that we're in COVID, so I haven't been in my own office as much as more a home office, right? Mm-hmm. And doing teletherapy. But I was going to say, I think um, how I think it was. A, it's a great gift that what I'm able to do is really shut it off, shut off my work almost immediately per client, her situation, her session because of the busy family life that I have. Yeah, like, four I kids. Have no
0: That's joke. no joke, Jeannie. Like,
1: yeah, <laughs> two of them are obviously in college, but still, you don't turn off your, just because they're not in the house. There's a lot more, I mean, being a college kid in, code, in the COVID pandemic has yeah. been very stressful on my kids and, and, our, and our family. And so it's just a stress. So I think the fact that I have a busy family, it grounds me. And when I am done for the day, or even in between sessions, I can really just, quickly pivot and do like, mm. okay what i gotta do with it and i think that's good and i think i call that a gift actually because people are like how do you separate it i go well i think it's something innate that that came to me as a talent honestly where i can shut it off and without making me sound like because you're busy of it,
0: you, you sort of have to busy. you're busy right. you have to attend to the next right. thing
1: exactly i was about to say it's almost survival yeah. if i have to if i want to take care of my kids i have to switch it off mm-hmm. to the sake of my family but, mm-hmm. And there are times when it's heavy and I do get snappy, especially lately because it's been super busy. But so I always tell folks I have to work hard at it. And on the weekends when I don't have as many sessions there are some sessions I have to take, i always be very, very, you know, cognizant of trying to make sure I do shut off my work. We mm-hmm. have to for our own self-care. So the family part is a big deal. And that's what motivates me to make sure that I can separate my work. And that's family. actually
0: my next question for you: Is how do you deal with burnout mm-hmm. and/or vicarious traumatization?
1: Exactly. Thank you for that. I I would say I actually did hit some burnout, not during COVID, thank goodness, but earlier on when I was in primary care. I started my cl- my medical, I'm sorry, my mental health career in primary care, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. Like I really love working with physicians. My dad was the, my dad is a retired neurologist, so I have that in my blood, and I love working with doctors, but it's a very crazy, fast-paced primary care, and I was the sole clinician running over, like, looking over four offices,
0: and, mm, my goodness.
1: and being, being, yeah, being a perfectionist myself, I wanted to be a the best behavioral health provider, mm-hmm. so I kind of wanted to burn out because I was very sought after, and, and I specialize also in family, so a lot of folks wanted to see me, and that's when I reached that cap of Oh my gosh, I am literally seeing. I think at one point, Christine, it was like 40, 42 patients a week. That's, that's 42 max. Hours. That's
0: max. Yeah. It's like that's, there's, there's nothing like, you can't go beyond defense. that.
1: that includes, yeah, that didn't include documentation and yeah. uh, other case calls that I do. It, it was crazy. And then I, I, so I did leave, not necessarily for burnout, but I wanted to move on. But when mm-hmm. I moved on, I, I felt myself going, oh, my God, what's it what's it happened the past two and a half years? Yeah. But I but I was but a great way to catapult my career because that's where I get a lot of my still as a private practice. Yeah. But I just just for that, our listeners 18, who
0: are listening, 42 uh, is almost probably double what the average therapist would be seeing yeah. in a week just to give people an idea yeah. who are listening.
1: Now, you want to know my math? Fifty three hours one week. Yeah, just, that's that was just one week. But that's that's insane. Yeah. Right. And they're like, they're like 55 minutes. Yeah, but no, um, I, think I, was working, I think I included a Saturday on that. But I, how I de- deal with that now is because I have my own private practice. That's the benefit of being able to control what you can control. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm glad, I think I, I want to share. I'm lucky. Like I can, if you have your own private practice and you can afford to do that, I definitely max out. I will not take referrals. I'm, I'm, it's easy now for me to say no. Mm-hmm. And then a good way of burn burnout just in general. It's to make sure I have my own passions and fun.
0: Mm-hmm. I make
1: sure I have fun. <laughs> so yeah. outside of work, I enjoy kayaking, hanging out with my kids. I mean, today it was like mundane stuff of cleaning the desk, but it doesn't matter. I, I make sure that I separate and do the things that I enjoy doing. And bottom line, as easy it sounds, is doing things that make me happy mm-hmm. to balance my work, right? Sure. And so I tell folks that. I tell clients that. Do things that make you happy. And happy is just that key word there. And so I do, and I, I will choose to sometimes, yeah, there are times I have to say no to things, mm-hmm. and,
0: and I do, for well, the sake of men. Well, Jeannie, if you weren't a therapist, what career do you think you'd be?
1: That's a great question. I, I, well, you know, I had this diverse career path of being a journalist, and then I went to business school. So if I had to really share, if I wasn't a therapist, and I always like to say, I this is a calling that I answered, and so I'm so happy I'm doing it, but, mm-hmm. If you have to answer that, might be a journalist. Okay, I might have stayed in the field of journalism, but I did leave actually in burnout and also, and then had a family. So I kind of didn't look back, but I enjoy being, uh, telling stories, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's what reporters do. But you now this, it's this climate, I don't know if I'd want to be a reporter <laughs> because right. of what's going on. But yes, I probably would be in the field of journalism. Okay.
0: What is something <laughs> you remember learning from a patient?
1: Hmm. Great question. There's so much I learned, actually. I, I've actually learned, that's so funny, I've actually learned how powerful it is to, and this sounds very cheesy, but powerful it is to have a strong family, um, what's the word, family connection with one's parents. And I'll explain. I'll break it down. The reason why people are like, well, duh. But no, in, in an, I'm an Asian American, Korean American. Uh, culturally, there's some nuances there. And and it's not easy growing up. It wasn't easy growing up for me to naturally just talk to my parents or have parental support, not because they didn't support me. But culturally speaking, it's, it's tough to talk in an Asian family like about your emotions, in, in all honesty. So mm-hmm. when I am treating... A family, which is why I love treating families, and I watched the dynamic of a, a child or a teen feel connected by being able to say, well, yeah, you know, there's times I feel so stressed out by you, right? Mm-hmm. That taught me a little bit, honestly, not teaching of a lesson, but healing, where I went, wow, you know, this is, this is great that I can now help facilitate these conversations in a family where growing up, a lot of my own experience was very difficult. And like I said, loving parents, but we're talking about Korean culture mm-hmm. that I had to navigate. And as a teen, right, we go through a lot of things in high school and all this stuff. And you're just like, I just want to talk to my parents and be able to say, I'm stressed out or this is what
0: I'm struggling with in, at home. And I never really could. So this has been so a collective of- experience well, for you in the room with, yeah, the, with the patient.
1: Reflective, introspective and, and healing Yes. Mm-hmm. That, that I can be, it's almost like, hey, now I'm able to navigate Help navigate these conversations that I couldn't have, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's less teaching, but it's so it's so rewarding. Does that makes sense, but yes. it's teaching me that I'm like, wow, this is a healing moment for me each time I do something like this.
0: That's great. If mm-hmm. you could make one change to the field of psychotherapy, what would it be and why? Oh, that's easy. I would share there is not enough teaching
1: on Asian or API mental health, and so. Even when I was going through graduate school, I remember I was so excited to take this cultural competency course. And I was like, oh, great. I'm going to see the angles of black, you know, black mental health, Latinx, Asian. There's a lot more black and Latinx than Asian. And I remember thinking, thank goodness I'm Asian. I kind of know how to treat other Asians. Mm-hmm. But there's just not a lot of training for non asians Like I have so many um, colleagues that come to me for help and questions, especially now, right? Mm-hmm. And I wish that we had that training from even college psychology courses and of course, graduate school. And to this day, just because I mentor a lot of uh, students, I learn about their classes. I even ask them, hey, so tell me, okay, tell me about this course. How's the cultural comedy course? It's literally the same when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty not good. I mean, it should, it's outdated. There's gotta be so much more added in there on model minority myths and things like, how is racism directly affecting one's mental health? That all has to be in there. And and I think we'll get there, Mm -hmm. but yes, that's the piece I wanna see. I wanna see much more diverse in perspective, thinking, education, clinical training, right? And and a lot of the API clinicians that I know, we're really swamped, so it's not like we can do it, but who knows, maybe someday one of us can create the curriculum, but that Mm -hmm. needs to be, I really want more for that.
0: Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a really great perspective. Um, do you follow any religious or spiritual path?
1: That's a great question. Yes, I do. I, and I wrote it in my book. Um, I am a Christian and I think that's what sustains me. So one of the things is I don't necessarily advertise, right? Because I do treat a plethora of a very diverse populations. but I sure. will say when folks mention things in sessions, like, you know, cause I'll always ask, I'm like, Okay, you just uh, you just mentioned that you like to pray, and I'll I'll kind of be keen on that and say, then I think that helps you. I think you need to continue praying if that makes sense. So that's in a lot of the language of folks I help with when I hear it, mm-hmm. and spirituality and religious practices, especially if we're talking from an API lens, is a big part of the culture. So it's super important to understand not just my point of view, but how other families perceive their religion and their religion and spiritual practices. I think is a big part of the identity the AACI identity. So um, I not only use it for myself, but I delve deep into understanding how people's own, you know, right? Own perspectives. how it helps them to get through those difficult moments, not just with therapeutic models, but understand that religion and spirituality really can help a family or an individual through their difficult time and build their resilience. But yes, I do follow my own and I'm, and I'm very, that's actually what grounds me at the very end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. How I make certain decisions, what I believe and what I should do. Yeah. So great question.
0: Okay. Well, those are the end of our 10 questions, but I always like to include a bonus question if I can, before we say goodbye. And that is what do you wish to tell the non-therapists that are listening today?
1: Mm. That despite uh, briefly touching on stigma, I, I think that, we are seeing a real big push to put mental health at the forefront of a lot in the pandemic and in the face of racism and all the stuff that's going on in our in our country today. But I want to share this. You don't need to seek mental health support or go to therapy when you're in a crisis. It, it doesn't have to look like there's no rhyme. There's no specific like um, textbook look on, oh yes, you're slated to go to therapy. Does that make sense? There's no mm. textbook like yeah, you're a great therapy candidate. So I make it very clear that Therapy can be for anybody, and it can be proactive. And And I even want to share, especially in this day and age and moving forward post-COVID, I'd love for it to be treated like um, us going to the dentist or getting an annual physical. We mm-hmm. are proactive about our physical health. But when it comes to our mental health, people are very reactive about it. They'll go, oh, I'm in a crisis. I might as well get support now, right? Yes, and by then, I think yes. there be a lot of detrimental yeah, uh, effects from that where you could go, you know, I'm anticipating a career change in six months. I, th- I probably could just use some help just getting to talking it out. It's not like mm-hmm. I need clinical mental illness support. It's more like I could use some help talking it out from a, you know, a neutral person mm-hmm. who is not my family member <laughs> or friend. And so I tell folks you can be very proactive in your, in your therapy and go see, seek somebody else to talk things through. It's not because you have particularly a mental illness or something wrong. And so that's what I want to share the non therapy, pro- uh, non therapy folks out there that. If, you, if you're so proactive about your physical health, there is no health without mental health. That's a great quote from the WHO. I believe that. Mm-hmm. So I think if you want to be proactive and take care of your the health of your mind, right, your your emotional well-being, your social well-being, your psychological well-being, then I'm I'm saying go ahead and be proactive and do what you can.
0: And tell us that quote one more time.
1: Yeah. There is no health without mental health in oh, okay.
0: the WHO. Thank you. Well, mm-hmm. that is where we will wrap Thank- up our session today. Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. I really appreciate you bringing your point of view. And I hope that we can connect for- again soon. Thanks, Christine. All right. Take care, Jeannie. You too. Thank Bye-bye. you for joining us on Interview with a Therapist. As always, I hope these episodes both help humanize the therapist and help destigmatize seeking mental health treatment. If you are interested in seeking therapy, apa.org backslash is one place to start. If you are a family member of someone seeking help, nami.org can be useful. That's n-a-m-i.org. You can find us on Instagram at interview therapist. Please note that comments or messages on social media are not monitored regularly and is not to be used for any treatment concerns or emergencies. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 911 in your local area or call 1-800-273-8255 nationally. This podcast does not constitute therapeutic advice or treatment.